On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we're getting stranded on an island with a bunch of unruly teenagers in Amazon's The Wilds, finding out what's up with Zendaya's Rue in the Euphoria Christmas special on Sky, and lastly, but by no means leastly, we're heading out into the solar system for the long-awaited return of Amazon's The Expanse. I'm James Dyer, and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, a show that returns to our regularly scheduled programming this week after last week's review of the year special, though we do hope you glean some helpful recommendations from that one. So, as we head into the home stretch in the run-up to Christmas, I'd like to once again welcome my two co-hosts to the show, both of whom are so excited to have seen the new episodes of The Expanse that they are visibly buzzing. First up... A man who, were he from the Expanse, would, I think, be an Earther politician, sort of connected to the great and powerful at every conceivable level. It's Mr. Boyd Hilton. How are you doing, Boyd? I'm doing fine, thanks. I mean, I actually have watched the Expanse, and I still don't understand what that means. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. And with us both is someone who I would most closely tie to Earth's former Secretary General, Christian Avasarala, for sort of sheer attitude. But I think we all know... She's really one of the belter loader, if only because her impenetrable patois renders her near indecipherable. It's Terry White. Are the belter loaders the ones that swear loads? I mean, we'll get into this, I'm sure, in the review, but there was one bit and I was like, they just said fuck six times in one sentence. I think I might like this show. This might be my people. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. The Expanse. It's good to be home. I'm very excited about this. But we will get onto that later on. Before, of course, we do that, and before we get into the podcast proper, shall we have a quick catch-up of what we've been watching over not one, but the last two weeks since we didn't have a regularly scheduled show last week and we had our annual review? Well, I finished... I'd I'd, I'd seen most of um, We Are Who We Are, the Luca Guadagnino um, series that we reviewed a couple of weeks ago, and Mm. Industry... The other series we reviewed a few weeks ago. Which has been renewed. Which has been renewed, yeah. That's also news. It's a news crossover. Mm. But So I finished both of those. Um, all up, I think both are eight episodes. That's the new thing to, to have, eight episodes. And I have to say that I love them both so much. They both get phenomenally good in the second halves of their series. Industry, I mean, forgetting the whole thing about are they likeable and all that, it's incredibly tense. It builds an incredibly tense climax of, in certain episodes about whether the deal is going to be pulled off and um, intercut with them having rampant sex and um, snorting coke from an arse. That is a scene in a later episode of Industry. It does stuff. It goes wow. there. It goes to places where I believe primetime BBC drama has never gone before. Who was it, Boydie? Was it... Um... Uh, a, a Fleetwood Mac person who had cocaine yeah, right. there off. Exactly. And in fact, they make reference to that in the show. So they make Whoa. reference to the fact that it's long rumoured that pop stars and rock stars have done this thing, snorted coke of each other's asses. So they try and do it for real. And it's a very funny scene um, played for laughs. But it is, I, I absolutely loved it. I'm so glad it's been renewed. Um, and that it would be in my top 20 from from last week when I didn't really consider it. And then who we are who we are, um, again, gets better and better and better. And the last episode is wonderful. It's a wonderful, it's kind of built around music. They go to a, their kind of first ever gig, the two youngsters at the centre of it. Um, we sound like the two youngsters. And um, the music is brilliant. I absolutely the, the music choices on the soundtrack anyway are incredible all the way through the series. Loads of David Bowie and the Smiths and lots of kind of 
80s tunes. John Adams' music, that composer who I love anyway, uses his music brilliantly. And uh, Blood Orange, like the guy from Blood Orange did a lot of the music on the soundtrack and they go to a Blood Orange concert. That's the kind of last episode. It's rare that you see the experience of going to your first gig. I don't know if you've ever been to one, James, but um, (laughs) to capture that excitement (laughs) and thrill of going to a live music performance, it's particularly poignant now, of course, because there aren't any, really, or there are hardly any because of the because of the the um, pandemic it's really well done it was really beautifully done and has a fantastically moving kind of most inspirational ending so both of those shows would be in my revised top 20 FYI I will have you know Boyd I have attended live concert gigs in the past in fact uh, I did my very first stage dive at a sensor concert what? at the Camden Palace yeah who, in the 90s. which concert who sensor it was a band called sensor and they played at Camden Palace sensor and that was that my, my first stage dive no it was a sort of kind of like a slightly it was like, I don't even know how you would define it It was like a precursor to Rage Against the Machine and it was very sort of like rap slash indie based oh, yeah. it was rap a slash indie based rap you know in the same indie. way they kind of blended metal yeah, and like rap and political. stuff in the way that, is, that became very much the you know james's yeah. musical thing. youth is 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 quite the yarn <laughs> <laughs> I, I did my a... first bit of crowd surfing at a rage against the machine concert at brixton you, oh, you are very rage against the machine yeah yeah i can see that well this is and also a nerdy let me tell you a story about james James may or may not be the kind of person who would go to a gig with someone and stand under the fire exit reading a book during said concert. What? (laughs) What? What are you talking about? Oh, that's actually a thing that happened. That is actually a thing that happened. I was dragged. It wasn't someone I was dating at the time took me to a gig. I was bored. So I took my book out and I couldn't read. So I moved to the back so I could stand under the exit sign, which gave a little little bit of green light. And I read my book by the light of the exit sign. And who was playing? Whose gig was it? Do you remember? I think it was Beth Orton, as I recall correctly. Oh, a woman, classic. A woman, yeah. To be fair, to be fair, to be fair, I also did it when I was dragged to Stevie Wonder. I just sat there and read a book because I can't stand Stevie Wonder. Wonder. (laughs) I don't like Stevie Wonder, and I had to sit in a Stevie Wonder gig reading a book. You don't Um, like Stevie Wonder. I mean, the worst part of all of this is the book I was reading was Wizard's First Rule by Terry Goodkind, which is a genuinely hateful book. So, I mean, mean, brilliant. What what, which detail of the story is most yeah. James Dyer? Yeah, it's, well, the whole thing is, is, is textbook Dyer, isn't it? The whole thing. He got to go to yeah. a Stevie Wonder concert, and everyone likes Stevie Wonder. I don't think I've ever met anyone who doesn't like Stevie Wonder before, for a start, Hi. except you. Yeah. Fucking hell. <laughs> That yeah. is amazing. So, you know. Okay. Good. Well, I'm good. glad, glad that we're that still on topic. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, watch the last episode of We Are Who We Are for that experience to be uh, right. to right. be summed up beautifully. Or sit at the back and read a book, whichever floats your boat. Yeah. Terry, what have you been watching? Um, so I have been doing the last season of Friends again. Um for no reason other than... Why the last season? That's an odd choice. Because um, that's Friends at its kind of lowest ebb, isn't know, it, really? I know, I know. I don't know. I kind of... Um, I started watching one. I kind of caught it. I caught the first episode of the last season. And then I thought, I'm just going to do it. And I did it. I kind of do it as a, a routine with my child when I'm feeding him. And we've... So we've watched it together. And I tweeted about this this week because the very conceit that we are meant to cheer as an audience... The fact that Ross manages to convince Rachel to give up her dream job. And, you know, there's obviously a bit of a, over the years, there's become a bit of a groundswell around the opinion that Ross is a uh, controlling toxic 
not. But um, <laughs> and I think this this proves it right because if you remember the whole setup, she gets she loses her actual job. She runs into Mark, obviously, you know, the old competitor, and um, uh, he gets her this job offer essentially in Paris. If you remember, Ross then goes behind her back to her old boss, convinces him to make her a better offer um, secretly because he loves her so much he wants to keep her in the country, essentially trying to scupper the fact she's got this amazing job. And in the end, she still goes, apart from she doesn't, because he follows her to the airport, tells her he loves her. I think he would never have done if she didn't have the job in Paris. He'd have just kept dicking around with her for, like, decades, because that's what some men do. And she gets off the plane, and the audience actually cheers. The studio audience cheer her getting off the plane where she was flying to Paris to do the job of her dreams in a city, presumably, of her dreams. Also, he didn't seem to give a flying fuck about his actual child well, living this half was a of question time I was in Paris. Ask. Where was baby Emma? Was baby Emma with her on the plane? No, so she's not on the plane. where is the child? I, I presume baby Emma. It's never said explicitly. So there's one moment where she says to Ross, I've explained our situation and they'll said they'll do whatever it takes to make it work. But... She doesn't explain why Emma isn't on the plane. I presume she might be following on later, but who with? And also, <laughs> How does that work? <laughs> I presume baby Emma is also where toddler Ben is, which is they're both in a cupboard somewhere. Like, because you don't see them. It's like they wanted the whole pregnancy storyline. And then they were like, oh, fuck, now we've actually got a child to contend with as a character. What do we do? Oh, just write, write it in for like three episodes and then never see it again. That makes perfect sense. My question sense. is, did the last season of Friends happen to be on like Channel 5 or something? Or did you did you watch it on DVD? So I or caught something? the first one on, um, what, what was it on? I Fuck no, it's always on one channel. Yeah, it's always at, on at seemingly Comedy Central and Channel 5, yeah. yeah. Um, and then I just and then I decided to watch it kind of every night um, <laughs> wow. uh, with Emlyn. But yeah, that, so th- I've been watching that. I've also been watching Portrait Artist of the Year, which is actually yes. helping save my sanity, which is a beautiful, gorgeous, glorious, um, yep. calming thing. I've been watching the first date specials, so they've been kind of creeping together. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, Terry, Terry, I'm afraid you've accidentally tripped one of the podcast's new security features, which is the reality check alarm. Now, the way this works, or as they explained it to me when they installed this particular feature, was that whenever someone starts talking about reality TV, the alarm will sound. And after the alarm has sounded, it then begins a 30-second countdown. And if the reality discussion hasn't stopped at the end of those 30 seconds, the universe ends. So, you know, obviously a little bit overkill, you could say, but, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's fair. So, you know, this sounds like a good feature that we've added to the podcast in in response to the 20-minute discussion of I'm a Celebrity a couple of weeks ago that even my mother complained about, and she watches I'm a Celebrity. Um, well... <laughs> That's interesting that that's been deployed this week because I'll tell you what else has been deployed. Oh, a feature God. which goes ee, 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 whenever you're a felon. So guess what? Ee, 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 ee. <laughs> so we got a bell end alarm as well. Okay, good. These are two nice, exciting new features. I've got a proper alarm for mine. You're going to need to make one for yours. No. Oh, don't worry. I've got my voice. That's all I need. Um, uh, but that actually was me done on Portrait Artist oh. of the Year. So, you know, keep your alarm. But not on the first but, date specials. <laughs> oh, oh yes, first date specials. Okay, I won't go on about them. But the one thing we haven't talked about yet, uh, because we are playing catch-up slightly, is the West Wing. In that I am fully into season three. Obviously, Bartlett's running for re-election. But 
I experienced the moment, the finest episode of TV, <laughs> two cathedrals, <laughs> which I promised people on Twitter we wouldn't ruin, and we no, won't because no there are, there no are people doing um, doing their first watch of The West Wing 2. Um, lots of them, actually, I think. But let me just say, without spoiling anything, that it is the finest episode of any TV show um, I remember watching. It is emotional and you know what it's there's moments where it isn't exactly subtle but i was there for every single fucking shot every (laughs) minute of that episode was glorious there is a scene um in a church that will live in my mind and in my soul for the rest of my life um and anybody who has that coming up i'd been warned that glory awaited me and if you are not yet at the finale of season two, you have a treat. <laughs> Something that will change your life is going to come to you soon. And I am very jealous you get to experience it for the first time. As and I it do. comes with dire straits. Yes. So that is all I have to say. I really want to know, James, when your yes. mum complains about an yes. episode, how, how mm. does this happen? Does she call you up and say, you've got to yes. cut short the... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> literally, literally, what happens? Literally, what happens? When I'm coming, so I got to be honest with you. I was really bored during that thing. They were banging on about I'm a celebrity, and I said to her, I said, to her, but, but you, my mum's not normally a reality TV person. She doesn't like Strictly. I did. Say, I said, but you've started watching I'm a Celebrity, so you must get it. She said, oh, but I don't want to hear about that. I said, oh, fair enough. So you know, double thumbs down from Mrs. Dyer. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Um, Bill Bailey is brilliant on Strictly, by the way. I oh, my mention. God. Yes. Amazing. Yes. Incredible. Yes. I Incredible. don't watch it, but I've heard. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Who knew that Who knew that rhythm was in that body? Yeah. Yeah. Astonishing. Who, one-time host of the Bauer Awards, of course. But multiple-time host of the Empire Awards, actually. No, oh, there you go. I think two years running. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what have I been watching this week? I have been pressing on with the FX remake of The Bridge, which is one of these things where it's occupying that kind of mid-tier hinterland where I'm watching it, I'm interested, I'm enjoying it, but it's not life-changing. So I feel like one bum episode and I'm probably going to stop watching. So I'm maybe like about four or five in. So we'll see. I'm going to try and press on with it. Not like we'll the bum episodes from industry. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, but also, I've uh, I've decided to start watching Vikings again. Because oh, I Jesus stopped Christ. watching Vikings at the end of, I want to say, season four. Basically, when Ragnar dies, spoiler, uh, but when Ragnar dies and, and Travis Fimmel leaves the show, I kind of lost interest. And I was like, oh, I don't like his sons. And I can't be bothered with it. And then I, I watched, didn't watch the whole of the season after he dies. And then we reviewed the first one of the season after that, which is all about Ivar the Boneless. And I couldn't be bothered. But I've been recently playing a video game about Vikings. So it's got me in a very Viking kind of place at the moment. So I have decided I'm going to start watching Vikings again and see if I can be drawn back into all the Norse goodness. So uh, quite looking forward to that. I find Vikings confusing because it's on History Channel, isn't it? But it's also on Amazon Prime. And I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's why, history, but it's, I think that's where it debuted in, I want to say the US, but yeah, it's on Amazon over here. Right. Not to be confused with The Last Kingdom, which is about Vikings, but not actually called Vikings. Oh, yeah. No, The Last Kingdom is, is, is great fun. Yeah. 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 And Last Kingdom is the better of the two. But um, nevertheless, nevertheless. So I'll, I'll let you know how my Viking excursion goes along. Um, <laughs> Please do. Right. Let us move on then to this week's listener question. Uh, and this comes with a preface, actually, because before we get to the main question, we also had an email from Spreadsheet Steve. Spreadsheet Steve being the custodian of the Banshee spreadsheet who wanted me to share his top three 
shows of 2020, <laughs> which for reasons unknown, I just agreed to do. So Spreadsheet Steve's top shows of 2020, none of them are on our list, are one, The Great, two, Ozark, and three, Trying. Oh, yeah, good good list, though. Yeah. There you go. Thank you, Spreadsheet oh, Steve. The Great. Right. Trying. The Great. Top three. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that, the great, by the way, is coming to Channel Four the beginning of January. Yes, Does indeed. So everyone yeah. will get to see it everyone now because it, Stars yeah. Play is still one of these things where everyone can watch it, but you do have to be out on the night of the equinox, standing under a full moon or something. <laughs> it's the only way you can actually catch things on Stars Play. That's absolutely true. But anyway, this week's actual listener question comes from Holly Illis, and it is: What are some of the best slash worst introductions of new characters into existing? ensembles and uh she's kind of mentioned that please exclude buffy obviously this would include spike and anya uh, and the west wing which i guess you could include ainsley hayes i think will bailey would necessarily anyway but um so new additions to existing ensembles well i think i've got the definitive answers to this question by the way Mm. go on Um, go on let's hear it so the definitive answers are first of all fraser fraser crane yes cheers cheers, Mm. cheers in season three Yes. As a supporting character. And he only became a weekly regular character in season five of Cheers. Then went on, obviously, to have the spin-off Frasier, which some would say is even better series than Cheers was. Cheers was fucking yeah. brilliant. Frasier, even more fucking brilliant. Um, and yeah, and he was just an entry into the ensemble, effectively in the middle of the run of, of, of that sitcom. And so just, just so I got it in my head, so I always think Cheers as being very much a game of two hearts. You've got the Diane years and then you've yeah. got the Kirstie Alley years. Yeah. And what was Kirstie Alley season five? Was that when she joined? Yeah, um, I think she might have even joined Yeah, after that. But he joined to create a love triangle story with Diane and um, Ted Danson. Oh, did he? Yeah. That, that I was didn't his, know. That was his initial storyline, yeah. And she, he was a shrink, and she recommended him to um, be Ted Danson's, what's his, I've got his, Sam, to be Sam's <laughs> um, shrink to help him with various issues. Um, and that's how they kind of, that's how he arrived in the show and was immediately brilliant, absolutely br- immediately brilliant character. Yeah, and then I think, I think, uh, I think Diane probably did leave, yeah, around season five, yeah, but I haven't, mm. haven't double-checked that. And did, isn't that where because Woody wasn't in there from the beginning either. He was a he was a mid season yeah, joiner, was, wasn't he? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was an older guy. Yeah, who was uh, coach was um, in there. Yes, he was coach. That's right. We lost coach. Yeah. We got Woody. Yeah. yeah, and coach. They were both. So coach was a kind. You know that. Uh, dim-witted you know not particularly bright yeah. that's the phrase yeah. i'm looking for <laughs> similar archetype <laughs> yeah similar archetype but then they <laughs> pushed it really far with woody um mm. in, in a brilliantly brilliantly um funny way and the other definitive answer to the question is um the hot priest andrew scott's arrival in series two mm. of um mm. fleabag which turned an already brilliant show into one of the greatest things of all time basically in that first episode where he arrives in the dinner the big dinner they have in that restaurant oh yeah one oh, of the yeah. greatest single episodes of TV ever. But he completely, you know, watch, you almost forget now he wasn't in series, series one, but he totally transformed that show, um, which had an incredible ensemble of characters anyway. And he just made it an absolute thing of genius, helped make it an absolute thing of genius. Wow. Ah, good shouts. Good shouts. Terry, are you going to mention Mike from Friends? No. No, Crap you're back. supposed to see, I thought, sorry. Crap bag. Oh, yes, crap bag. Yes, <laughs> yes indeed. Crap bag. <laughs> yeah, I just thought you were just, you know, having a weird sort of Tourette's incident. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just looking, hold, hold, 
Hold, please. I'm just looking for something. Right, well, I'll, I can chuck out some while you're looking at that. Yeah, go on. Tricky one. I would say weirdly, it's Ken, because it's 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 a very specific thing. I'm going to have to broaden it a little bit because because like adding a new character to an existing ensemble, I don't think, for example, I was going to say Michael B. Jordan from Friday Night Lights, but that's not so much a new character. It's an entire shift of focus to the East Dillon High School. And then you get Michael B. Jordan and a whole other sort of central cast to it. And that was amazing and really worked really well. I'm not saying it's better. It was just different. Um, Crichton to Red Dwarf was an interesting addition <laughs> when he became oh, a regular wow. cast member when Robert Llewellyn came in and took over that role. I think he genuinely does add something to that show, uh, of course, being one of Terry's favourites. Isn't Rob Lowe to Parks and Rec sort of held up as the gold standard for this a lot of the time? By yeah, him. he was good. Yeah, he was good. <laughs> but people who like Parks and Rec, <laughs> of which I am not one. So, <laughs> um, I'm going to say uh, Leslie Manville joining Save Me Too. Um, so mm, obviously yeah. we talked at length about the great power of Save Me and then Save Me Too, the second season, is such an incredible ensemble cast and quite a large ensemble cast. And she joined in season two, obviously, as Gideon's uh, wife, Jennifer. Um, she's amazing in, in everything she does. But I think to come into that ensemble cast um, kind of mid-story, really, she was brilliant. And her scenes with Nellie were just incredible. And I would also mention, um, typically, I want to give a shout out to Raphael Barber in Law and Order SVU, <laughs> who is, in my humble opinion, the greatest DA ever in the Law and Order franchise. Never mind just SVU, but the entire franchise. He joined in season 14 and left in season 21 under very upsetting circumstances. Um, and he is the greatest addition to Law and Order SVU, and his loss is still felt. Who can forget that loss? <laughs> Raphael Barbara. Oh, I should say, played by Raul Esparza. Mm. Okay. Uh, oh, who would I add? If Helen O'Hara were here, she would mention Castiel joining the cast of Supernatural. He became sort of it, uh, what was a two-hander became a three-hander. Uh, I think he's very much a fan favourite. Um, are either of you Big Bang Theory fans? Nope. No, boy, you must have seen it. So, wh where do you stand on the it. kind I'm of? Just not a fan. Yeah, oh, not right. a fan of oh, it. Where do you stand on the Amy Bernadette issue? Because obviously, it was about these geeky guys and this one girl, and then Amy and Bernadette join, and everyone kind of pairs off, and the whole sitcom takes on a slightly different dynamic, which I think some people love and others less so. Um, Neither of you have any feelings on this, do you? Well, I, only because I don't know which one's which. But um, it's Bernadette. I think Bernadette's Blossom is Amy Farrah Fowler. That's Blossom. <laughs> Oh yeah, Amy's the best character. Bernadette was Howard's she? wife. Yeah, and Amy yeah. was with Sheldon. Yeah, Amy's the best just, character. I can't. I just can't get into that. Show. Like, it's so broad. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But funny, isn't it? In that no. it's really oh. broad. But no, I don't mean it's funny. <laughs> I, I mean that it's, was it's a genuine. Question. It's kind of funny that it's not funny. No, it's funny that it's very it, like its subject matter is quite nerdy and niche, but it is incredibly broad. Mm. And I think I like the first part of it. I don't like the second part of it. Um. Yeah, I, I definitely went off Big Bang Theory. But anyway, what else have we got? I think the addition of Negan to Walking Dead is an interesting one in that he was the mm -hmm. worst villain. And the Negan years, which were like three seasons or something, where he's the villain, are dreadful. And yet when he becomes part of the broader cast and they smooth off his hard edges, actually he's become one of the more interesting characters in that show. So that was unexpected. Um, Maya Hawke as Robin in Stranger Things I thought was a great addition to that cast as well. Oh, yeah, she was great. Yeah, she's really good. Um, yeah. Terry, you will, of course, 
have strong feelings about the uh, additions to the regular cast of Farscape, of which there have been quite a number. But I've got to tell you, Terry, you know, I'm going to have to diverge from you here and say that I don't like any of them. So I don't dislike Chiana particularly, but I think she added an awful lot. Jules, Sokozu, I could kind of take or leave them, to be honest. They're a bit interchangeable. Um, I quite like when Crace and Scorpius got larger roles, but, you know, what are you going to do? Um, Gus Fring... Mike and Saul Goodman, I would say, were all great additions to Breaking Bad. Oh, yeah, absolutely. When did Saul Goodman arrive? That's a good point. It's a good question. It's a good question. I want to say season two, but I can't say for sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, they're absolutely brilliant additions. Great addition to that. And in fact, um, yeah, and in fact, just to stick with the things I always bang on about in this section, the arrival of Leon in Curb Your Enthusiasm, played by J.B. Smoove, it was an absolutely legendary piece of casting and became subsequently became like a, a brilliant um, kind of foil for Larry. Um, he is an amazing character, an amazing performer. He's better than Mocha Joe. He's better. He's much more. He's much more regular than Mocha Joe. Mocha Joe's brilliant. He's only in a couple, two or three episodes. Oh, okay. um, Leon is, is goes to live with Larry. He's is he's his housemate, and um, he, he's just everything that comes out of his mouth is extraordinary. Absolutely brilliant character. And of course, um, you will agree with me that um, Kareem in season two of the OA is a brilliant addition. Mm. Who's the new lead Kingsley played Benadir, by Kingsley yes. Benadire, who's about to win mm. probably an Oscar next year for best supporting actor in the One Night in Miami. <laughs> FYI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, last couple, I would say, uh, Tom Hardy's Alfie Solomon's not really a member of the, um, yeah. kind of it blurs yeah. the lines between not really a joining and assisting ensemble. He's more of a kind of a, a seasonal villain. Same with Forrest Whitaker and Glenn Close in The Shield, not villains in necessarily, but, you know, as in seasonal characters, guest stars, if you will. But I would say from a Star Trek point of view, when Worf made the jump from the next generation to Deep Space Nine, Deep Space Nine upped its game from the way of the warrior onward. So that was a massive coup for them. Also, when Jerry Ryan joined Star Trek Voyager uh, as Seven of Nine, that again gave that show a bit of a new lease of life. So both of those excellent additions. And and you've reminded me just, we're talking about guest leads who then become something more than that, a spoiler mm. alert, um, uh, Keely Hawes in Line of Duty, who is absolutely incredible in her yeah. series, but then, spoiler alert again, pops up again later on and her that transformed that role not only i think transformed line of duty for me which i loved season one was brilliant series one was brilliant with lenny james but she her character is so incredible still yeah. the most extraordinary character to, to watch and then like she hits because she hits someone doesn't she she goes down she has the woman who's living in, in in her neighbor and she kind of basically smashes her in the head and like she's a fucking cop and you know those moments she, she and, and just she just saw Keely Hawes the actor in a completely new light and I think ever since she's been like it's, it, it raised her to new levels she's now a massive massive star and could pretty much do what she, take whichever role she wants and she was incredible in that show and Line of Duty are good at that right think about Stephen Graham um, yeah. obviously mm. last series he was you know amazing in it but you're so right about Keely Horse that character I find so fascinating I cannot remember another character like that in telly who you can't really get a proper steer on you know I want to know as a copy is she bent or is she like Mm. is it's binary right or or it is traditionally in cop shows Mm. is it's binary you've got good cops and bad cops and she's such a and I'm not even going to say flawed like fucked up as you say violent dangerous what kind of you think her heart's in the right place a bit yeah, i think yeah is it i don't know but yeah, yeah, it's, yeah it's like yeah. it's like a completely different woman it's remarkable i understand it's acting but you know still <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like she's it's a totally incredible. different person she's not like any horse at all i don't understand <laughs> <laughs> 
Amazing. Well, Holly, I hope that has answered your question. If you would like a question read out on specifically next week's podcast, or rather the, the, the next one we do, which will be our festive edition, so if you can come up with a festive question, that'd be great, do feel free to sling them to me on social media at James C. Dyer or directly to Pilot via DM at Pilot TV Pod. Now, we should move on to this week's news. Now, luckily for us, nothing's really happened on the news front this week. It's all been pretty quiet, so we can probably skip this question. Oh, my God, kill me. So, last night, as we were all trying to go to bed, Disney had their shareholders presentation, uh, whereupon they announced all the shows in the world ever and a fuckload of films to boot. And I just don't even know where to begin with this. So why don't we try breaking this into sections? So let's start with Star Wars. So they kicked this off by saying there would be 10 Star Wars Mm -hmm. series on the way. The Mandalorian's done very well, but we're going to get 10 Star Wars series. Can I just say, I can't believe you haven't started in the really obvious place, which was the announcement of four more seasons for It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yes, that is the obvious place to start, Boyd. (laughs) Carry on. Sorry. It was in there. It was in the announcements. It's already up to 14 Boy, seasons. I haven't seen one series of It's Always Sunny in Four, This is a show, right? I know, this is an incredible show. I'm sorry. I've got to get that. It's one of the most... People love it. It's apparently brilliant. It's 14 seasons it's been on. It's going to be 18 seasons when the four they've just commissioned arrive in the next few years. It's an unbelievable phenomenon. And yet... It's never really took off here at all in this country. No one's hardly ever seen it. I mean, I've seen a few episodes. No. It's good. Carry on with Star I think Wars. I've, I think I've watched an episode of it and yeah. didn't find it funny. But yeah. um, right, anyway, so Star Wars. So we have obviously The Mandalorian, uh, season three of which will be arriving Christmas next year. Obi-Wan Kenobi, we knew was happening, but now we know that Hayden Christensen is going to be appearing in the Obi-Wan Kenobi show as Darth Vader. How that works from a chronology point of view, I really don't know. We've got Rangers of the New Republic, another show, Ahsoka Tano, so Rosario Dawson, who appeared as Ahsoka in the episode of The Mandalorian, The Jedi, is getting her own spin-off show as well. Uh, we've got the Cassian Andor series, for which Mon Mothma is going to be coming back into. The animated show Star Wars The Bad Batch. Um, Star Wars Visions, which seems to be sort of a series of sort of Star Wars standalone shorts. Lando, they haven't specifically said, but I'm assuming Donald Glover is going to be back to play Lando Calrissian mm-hmm. in Lando. We've got The Acolyte, which is a female-led show, sort of set after I, I think it's after the... Re- public at the rise of the empire so whatever that is we've got a droid story which i think presumably speaks for itself and that's quite a lot of star wars and that's not even going into the films which we have all other podcasts for yeah <laughs> i mean 10 10 series 10 marvel ones as well i mean i, I, I think i'm not i'm not hugely surprised because let's be honest right is the mandalorian has for so many people um saved star wars essentially with all of the difficulties it's had theatrically all of the storytelling difficulties all of the kind of it's so divisive um the last trilogy and the mandalorian in two seasons and actually just in the first season swept so much of that toxicity and Mm. controversy away it is universally loved it's brought people, I think, into the Star Wars universe. Um, it's pleased, somehow pleased, psychopaths like you, James Dyer, um, <sighs> and more generalists and, and people who are just into pop culture. It's got such a... Um, it's so brilliantly executed and I think has made people fall in love with Star Wars again and brought new people um, to the universe. And I think 
you know, the next step would always be extending that out with more series. And I presume some will be more niche than others. Not all of them are going to be aimed at kind of a massive audience and a mass market. Some are going to drill down mm-hmm. into Jane's land, as I call it. Um, and, you know, I think uh, Kathleen K- Kennedy, obviously the Lucasfilm boss, had said, you know, this is kind of a, a whole new era for Star Wars that has been opened up by Mando. Um, so I think it's really, really exciting. As long as it they get exciting. it right, <laughs> obviously. Cause. Yeah, but, it, but there's a lot a lot to unpack here. This is a shareholder's presentation, and it's worth in noting that Disney Plus was very much at the forefront of this. Like, it, it feels very much they're positioning this as their core business model, which, you know, from a financial point of view, I'm sure they've done the maths. I can't quite work out how it works myself. But, you know, films were part of this, but they were sort of, I think, in a back seat to the TV announcements here, which is what they were really leading with. I don't know if you, I mean, you saw the way they announced Patty Jenkins, the first female mm-hmm. director of a Star Wars movie. X-Wings, squee! Um, that, that wasn't, you know, that wasn't a small thing to them. In terms of volume, 10 yeah. shows is massive, right? Same with Marvel, 10 shows. You've got mm. 20 TV properties there, that's massive. Um, I don't know if I'd say like they're entirely positioning the kind of business around around Disney Plus, but I think it's been a huge success for them. When you look at the numbers of subscribers, you know, this week you'll have seen obviously all the controversy around Warner Brothers um, releasing films day and day in theatres and um, on HBO Max throughout 2021. And when you compare, for example, the number of active subscribers for HBO Max versus, I think they've got in total almost what Disney got on their first day on Disney Plus. And that's yeah. kind of, you know, <laughs> the success that Disney have had with um, with Disney Plus. But, you know, they're also very aware that they're capable of, of billion-dollar box offices as well. Mm. Um, so it seems like a really smart move, especially as we know the- theatrical and cinemas are going to be a difficult place for for a few months really probably at least a year that road back is not a straightforward easy road back is it and it's interesting that they've done so well on disney plus with let's be honest one original must-see tv show Mm. and it's mainly the back catalog that they've been trading off and obviously that's gonna be a massive change in 21 because this slate is unbelievable you know not just star wars not just marvel there's all sorts of stuff on here which we'll get on to in a minute but i mean i mean wandavision hits us at the beginning of next year then we almost go straight into falcon and winter soldier once that's finished and then once that's finished we almost go straight into loki so it's like one musty show after another yeah. after another always so on where, right yeah you've yeah. you will always have a dis- i yeah, think they've done it deliberately back to back so you will mm. always have one musty show yeah and they're off and there'll be massive crossover with those audiences i mean that wandavision trailer <laughs> which it's looks amazing superb i mean yeah. oh my god it looks so fucking brilliant but how and bold and, yeah. and unorthodox as mad, well mad mad i can't remember seeing a trailer like that especially not from a company <laughs> like that who you know are, are known for filling cinemas and and being so mass and this is high concept stuff mm, done with so. real flair and verve and vision i think it's it's super exciting but yeah you can imagine where they they will always want their customers to have something to go on to next yeah 
Definitely. And we saw teasers for WandaVision. We saw teaser for Falcon and Winter Soldier. There was an excellent teaser for Loki, which looks so much mm. fun. And again, almost like genre defying. I couldn't even get quite, mm. it almost seems like a, almost like a spy caper. It's, it's quite extraordinary. That is, I, I'm very excited about that. And, uh, Kevin Feige came <laughs> out and announced a number. That's quite extraordinary. extraordinary. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we're back to that again. <laughs> Anyway, can I ask a question though? Can I ask a question though? Yes. I think a lot of people would have seen the announcement and and felt, I mean, I know I did a little bit. 10, I mean, 10 Star Wars series, like, and there's something, it feels slightly like Sausage Factory about it. Do you know what I mean? Like, they're (laughs) taking every single possible um, spin off and character and obvious. A, a obvious kind of subset of Star Wars and turning it into a TV series. It does. Do you know what I mean? It feels. It's, it feels slightly a bit much to uh, uh, to be slight. I don't. Know. I don't think all of them will hit. I don't think the droid one is going to be a must see for me. And <laughs> you know, Cassian Andor, as I've said many times, is the most vanilla character in the entirety of Star Wars. <laughs> however, mm. however, there's some really good stuff in there as well. And I think some of them will hit and some of them will miss. I yeah. think it would be madness to think they will all be successes on the level of the Mandalorian. I think that's that's not going to happen but you know even if half of them are even if a third of them are that's still an incredible output so but yeah i know what you mean that's a lot of star wars but i don't think they're all aimed at everyone no and i think that's the really important point i think what they'll do is kind of like they were trying to in theatrical you know solo um and rogue one and having these smaller stories Mm. alongside the massive ones and I think it's kind of a similar approach in that they'll have the Mandalorian, which is 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 quite broad in many respects. But I think they'll have much much more niche ones that will be tailored um, to a really kind of hardcore fan. I don't think they'd expect everybody to kind of dip into yeah. all the ten. They probably expect James Dyer to dip into all ten, but you know, not <laughs> a normal person. But mm. but I think this gives Kathleen Kennedy a chance to do what I think she genuinely wanted to do with those Star Wars anthology films, what the FET one before that got cancelled. Mm. But, you know, with Rogue One, with uh, Solo, the idea for those was they were going to be smaller, not quite independent films, that's not yeah. daft, but they were going to be, you know, Rogue One was going to be a sort of dark war movie and it was going to be aimed at a more niche audience. Unfortunately, the box office success of The Force Awakens and the Disney shareholders made them rethink that plan. It was lovely on paper, but they thought, well, if we do this, we absolutely cannot guarantee the level of box office yeah. revenue that we're now being told we need to get. So they rethought the strategy and they ended up pitching those far too big. So they ended up blurring the lines between those and, and the main franchise ones. I actually think now on TV, they can totally do that. And as we've seen from the trailers for the for the Marvel stuff, they are being bold and they are pushing the boat out and doing different things in a way that when you are dealing with hundreds of millions of box office revenue, you can't do as easily. So yeah, I, yeah it's it, much this less is, of a risk. Very exciting. It's much yeah, less of a risk, risk, isn't it, to have these risk. big, yeah, to have these big TV series, especially when they've got ninety million subscribers already. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. as you said, the the math. Is, but if you think about it, it'll be a hundred million. You know, probably in about a month. So a hundred million people playing ten yeah. whatever it dollars a month. You know, for it is the figures are incredible. That's in, so they are basically creating billions and billions worth of content and as you say they i think they said didn't they they not they want to launch a new thing every single week um like netflix does basically yeah. and if you think about netflix you know it now doesn't matter does it the fact that netflix has a shit has two or three shit things on every couple of weeks because you get 
you get the brilliant yeah. thing, you know, the... the um, They'll pull a Queen's Gambit out of their arse from no exactly. and you'll be like, wow! Yeah, so I think for Disney+, Plus, it won't matter if, even if the um, the one with, you know, the, the Darth Vader one turns out to be a bit shit, which is quite likely, in my opinion. Who knows? Um, because we'll get over it, because we'll get on to the next one. Yeah, I think that's true. And they're doing it with Marvel as well. As we said, 10 Star Wars shows, 10 Marvel shows. They've announced a secret invasion show with Sam Jackson and Ben Mendelsohn. And I love that idea because I think uh, Ben Mendelsohn's Skrulls were one of the best things about, uh, you know, that came out of Captain Marvel. Mm. And then we saw them again uh, at the end of Spider-Man Far From Home. How that works, given that secret invasion is all about the Skrulls being evil, and that's kind of not how they're pitched in the MCU, I I'm excited to find out. We've got Iron Heart, which is an Iron Man spin-off uh, focusing on inventor Riri Williams, and she's played by Dominic Thorne from If Beale Street Could Talk. You've got, speaking of Iron Man and armor, you've got Armor Wars, which is based on a 1980s comic book series, and this has got Don Cheadle in it as War Machine. And then James Gunn, because of course he is, is doing a Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special inspired by the Star Wars holiday special. And if anyone had money on that being announced as part of this presentation, then frankly, they deserve all the money they can get. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't just that. If, you know, if you're not interested in Star Wars and you're not interested in uh, Marvel, then you know why are you here and you're mental. But also, there was a lot of other stuff on there as well. Not least of all was the announcement of Star. So, as as we've often talked about, you know, they acquired an awful lot of stuff from Fox that is not family friendly. And Hulu puts out a lot of great stuff in the US, as we talked about on our review of the year. Hulu is absolutely knocking it out of the park at the moment. Um, but Hulu tends to auction all their stuff off. It'll go to Amazon. It'll go to Stars Play. Who the fuck knows? It took us, you know, the better part of a year to get high fidelity. So they're now launching Star in non-US territories where the non-family friendly Disney-owned content will arrive. So presumably all the Hulu output will go directly to Star and Star will be available to people who subscribe to Disney Plus. Password protected, so your wee ones can't see, you know, naughty bits on there. Um, but this is monstrously exciting. And in many ways, one of the most <laughs> exciting parts of this. <laughs> Monstrously exciting. You're just—are you just going to take issue with every adjective I come up with at this point? But I have a question about this, right? I have a question because people were confused on the internet last night. Were they monstrously confused? They're monstrously. Do you, if you subscribe to Disney Plus? Do you get this, or do, is it an extra yes, fee? So. No, my understanding is you get it. Yeah, you, you get, get it, it as free, part yeah. of your package, which means essentially the bottom line of this is everyone. It's like you get a car, you get a car, everyone's gets <laughs> a car. It's Hulu for everyone is the bottom line of this. If you've got Disney Plus, you basically get Hulu as well. Yeah, so, that is exciting. Hooray. That is exciting. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, no that's more, monstrously you know, exciting. If they'd, if they'd also said, we're launching Star and we're also renewing High Fidelity, that would have been the cherry on top. They didn't, but what are you going to do? So monstrously excited about the launching of Star next year. Um, what else have we got on this massive press release? Alien. Alien. Yes, the Noah Alien. Hawley Alien TV series. That's exciting, isn't it? The good news about that for me, the best news about that was that Ridley Scott is only kind of, you know, vaguely involved <laughs> Probably exec producing because we've seen what he does. We can see what he's capable of. Um, TV. Raised by but, Wolves has really put you off this, hasn't it? Yeah, Raised by Wolves has slightly put me off. But yeah, I think Noah no Hawley is, 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 a, is a brilliant talent. I mean, you know, Fargo, he's done mm. brilliant things with Fargo. And um, Legion, I didn't, but Legion was wild, wasn't it? It was like wildly. Yeah, it was. Um, inventive so i think it's i think if you're going to get anyone to do a, be a showrunner on an alien tv series he's the guy to do it i think 
Yeah, I'm excited about that. What else? We've got one more family-friendly capacity. There are TV shows being worked up around Beauty and the Beast, Percy Jackson and the Olympians, the Rick Riordan books, Mighty Ducks, Turner and Hooch. Who saw Turner and Hooch, the TV series, coming? I mean, they're literally going through every film they've ever made and seeing if it can turn into a TV series, aren't they? A Bug's Life is getting something. There's a Moana TV series happening. Of course. uh, Which is, which there's a, there's a a Will Smith nature thing called Welcome to Earth. I am into this. Again. I am into this. I, so am I, but it, it feels a lot like someone while drunk and watching Independence Day came up with the idea. I know, this. that's why I love it. I think Independence Day is so underrated. I want him to just go up to sort of various alien things, punch them in the face and say that line, and that's going to be the show. Um, what else have we got on here? Why the Last Man they talked about, which is going to be coming to FX. Very excited about Why the Last Man. Handmaid's Tales has been renewed for a fifth soul-crushingly depressing season. <laughs> So that's good. Uh, Nine Perfect Strangers, which is the David E. Kelly, Nicole Kidman thing, has got its uh, premiere for next year as yeah, well. Yeah, that'll be on later this year, which I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. yeah. And also, the one of the, the other Hulu ones is Only Murders in the Building, which is a comedy series with Steve Martin and Martin Short, who are two of my favourite people of all time in the world of comedy, oh. and Selena Gomez. Do you remember, like, way back in the 80s when Shogun was uh, was yes, appointment viewing? of course. Well, they're doing, a, they're doing a remake of Shogun on there as well. Yeah. If you yep. want get your feudal Japan on. Um, there's Pixar stuff in there as well. I would say there is an awful lot to this. Uh, we will not go into it in too much more detail on this particular podcast, not least of all because there is literally an Empire special podcast dedicated solely to all this Disney stuff, which will already be out as this podcast goes out, but we haven't actually recorded it yet. Um, but yes, suffice it to say, there's a lot going on over at Disney for you to read about. Baymax, Big Hero 6 the series as well. Very exciting. Um, so has any non-Disney-related yes. news happened? Yes. Um, uh, Terry's favourite show, Feel Good, has been, is, is going to be back for second yeah. season. Um, They're shooting but very already, aren't they? Shooting already, intriguingly, and, and doubly intriguingly, not on Channel 4. Channel 4 is bowed out, <gasps> and it's a pure really? Netflix show. <gasps> yeah. I did not know yeah. that. I did not yeah, know yeah. that. They didn't. They they made the announcement. Um, Netflix made the announcement, and she well, May Martin made the announcement. Really, she 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 posted mm. about it on Twitter and Instagram, and she said coming to Netflix in twenty twenty one. We're filming already, and I thought, oh, where's Channel Four in this? And I was like looking for a Channel Four. So I I investigated, and they didn't make it clear, but it's absolutely the case that Channel Four is not involved, and this is now a Netflix show. Why? It's a Netflix That's... show everywhere except the UK. Did um did Channel Four choose to um? Uh, I think I don't. I think I think they probably. It feels like I don't know, but it feels like they kind of went all right. If Netflix wants to finance the whole thing, that's fine by us. We'll leave it. It probably didn't get huge numbers for Channel Four, um, uh, so they probably think you know, even though it's a brilliant show and highly acclaimed and all of that, that they didn't need to have it back. They didn't need to invest in it because it, it was, as I say, because it wasn't a huge rating set at all. I liked, but I liked the fact that they were showing it. Yeah. On agree, yeah. um, episodically and weekly, I think yeah. it really benefited from that rhythm. I wonder if it's going to drop uh, all in one go on on Netflix, uh, uh, or whether they might actually. I think it'll have to. I think I think every Netflix original series, which it now is, has to have has to drop all in one go. I think that's their rule. I don't know if any if anyone can is listening that can think of an example of a a genuine Netflix original that they produce that they commission that isn't available in one go. Then I'll, I will be. Intrigued. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. That's mm. a shame. But yeah. that that's a shame. But also, but yeah, yeah, brilliant. Really good. 
Strange news this week. So True Blood is being rebooted at HBO, which uh, I, I must admit I kind of took me by surprise. So that finished six years ago. It's based on the Charlene Harris Southern vampire stories, but ran for, God, how a seven-season run with... Um, uh, with Anna Paquin in it and Stephen Moyer. But, um, yeah, so that's getting a, a complete reboot with the creator of Riverdale and the creator of Nosferatu teaming up to do that one with Alan Ball returning, but only in a kind of, I suspect, honorary exec producer role. I mean, the, the True Blood, if you think about it, True Blood is a, is a show, it's a perfect HBO show, isn't it? Because you've got endless excuse for grotesque, gory violence and sex. And, and tons of nudity, yeah. Yeah, the relentless yeah. nudity. Yeah. That was what, you know, I mean, Alan Ball was, was, was a very good, you know, creative guy. But I always thought that show was just 100% gratuitous, all of the things the HBO loves yeah. to define yeah. it define it away from all the other kind of network shows did you see i was intrigued by the unlikely combination which i kind of knew was happening but it's been confirmed this week that lenny henry is writing a series based on um um people in his family's lives um uh migrants to this country etc but he's help he's being helped on it with by russell t davis so russell t davis is acting as kind of like his um script consultant on the show and he's credited him he announced it this week and he said you know i wanted to go to someone who one of the best writers, TV writers out there. And I think that combination is really intriguing. So I am looking forward to that. Emma Stone is doing a Showtime comedy series with the Safdie brothers who did uh, Uncut Gems, which was one of this year's best films. Um, so it is called The Curse. And it is about, uh, it's a comedy, but it is about how a curse disturbs the relationship of a newly married couple as they try to have a child, while also co-starring on their own uh, TV show. So it's a slightly odd setup, but uh, I remember Uncut Gems is basically an anxiety attack in movie form. Uh, I'm assuming <laughs> that that particular aesthetic is not what they're going to be going for here, but Emma Stone is great, so I am on board for this. Um, Ava DuVernay is uh, developing a DC Comics series um called naomi so i think she was already working with them right on um there was talk of a new gods movie um a film that was but um yeah she's she's now i think either at the same time or the, the other one shelved so she's pushing this one forward mm. um is going to be doing a series i mean i love ava duvernay i think she's um mm. i think she's really interesting that's a really interesting point of view on stuff um so yeah be interested yeah. to see her take on dc did we we i think we missed because we didn't do new, traditional news that the morning show has um is now going to be starring juliana margulies um who was obviously er um first and foremost carol hathaway carol hathaway um still i mean she should never have taken him back anyway that's a different story um uh so yeah she's gonna it says she's gonna be part of the um ensemble she will play laura peterson um an anchor um at uba news and i think that is pretty much um all we know she's great mm. she's amazing she's I can, yeah. I can a good wife totally a good wife alicia florick absolutely er no. oh, a good wife <laughs> yes yes terry Carol Hathaway <laughs> makes her makes her debut by wheel, being wheeled in after after trying to commit suicide because George Clooney broke her heart again. That's right, and wasn't supposed to be a regular character. No. She was supposed to die in that episode. But everyone loved her so much. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember her final episode where she goes she goes off to live on a farm with with Doug Ross? Yeah, where she where she's got he she turns up with the twins. Um, and there he is, like chopping wood or something ridiculous in a in lumberjack shirt. <laughs> yeah. 
Like he looks <laughs> like that. Who's that? Oh, it's the um, love of my life and my two ch- small children that I abandoned. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but more important than any other news, I think we can all agree, is that uh, S.A. Corey, uh, in fact, both of the authors that make up S.A. Corey, Ty Frank and Daniel Abraham, have said that even though the sixth season of The Expanse will be the last of the show. He doesn't see it as the end of the show. I think they are going to look. I think basically Amazon have said that's the last one they're going to do, but they're still looking for a new home for The Expanse. So The Expanse may live on. Isn't that exciting, guys? I mean, guys? I can't believe you've. I can't believe we're reviewing The Expanse and you've shoehorned a news story about The Expanse into the podcast as well. Can I mean, you really Jesus not believe Christ. it, Boyd? Can well, you really can not believe, believe it? it? I think as right. a TV, as as the as the country's leading TV based podcast, we should also have a tribute to to uh, Barbara Windsor, who passed yes. away. Uh, yes, last indeed night. we should. Um, and was an incredible figure, uh, starring in your favourite show EastEnders for all that time, which totally revived, mm. re- kind of revived her career. She talked to herself about how she was kind of she was in debt when she was offered that role. Um, and it was quite unusual thing for EastEnders to do at the time. I remember thinking, oh, it's got such a famous kind of iconic figure in the show, and she was absolutely brilliant. She showed out what a fantastic actor she was in that role. Um, some incredible episodes, incredible performance, and she was a fantastic um, person. I absolutely loved her. So, yeah. Yes, died on Thursday, last Thursday, at the age of 83. Big loss, Barbara Windsor. I know that the term national treasure does get overused, but she very much oh, was one. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that is it then for this week's news section. Um, if you would like to know more about all the Marvel stuff, as I say, there is an Empire special podcast, which I'm going to be doing later today, dedicated specifically to that. Um, but let's move on to this week's reviews. And we begin this week with The Wilds, an Amazon show about a group of girls on a plane to a feminist retreat. The plane crashes, stranding them on a desert island, except the crash may not have been an accident and everything is far from what it seems. So a bit like Lost, only, you know, not as good. Anyway, boy, <laughs> were you uh, were you wild about the wilds? I have. Do you know what? I watched the first episode last night, um, and we should say that, I, that the, this the recording of this podcast has been slightly delayed due to well, due to the bloody Disney fucking plus announcement of <laughs> a thousand million TV shows and films that you had to cover in Empire Magazine. Let's face it. So I have carried on watching it, uh, and I've now I was up to episode episode four. Um, <laughs> by the time we started recording. And I, I, I'm really enjoying it. I, uh, initially, it, so it is, inc- people have been saying, oh, it's not really like Lost, you know, some of the, some reviews. I'm like, it is. I mean, it is a lot like Lost in the <laughs> sense really that is. it gathers an ensemble of characters. It, there's a plane crash, which you don't really see, but you, 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 it has happened. Um, they land on a des- desert, desert island, deserted island. They're the only people there. There's also some outside things happening, a company run by Rachel Griffiths that is, that, without wanting to spoil it, I mean, it's in episode one, you see her, is, is kind of observing them somehow, and you're kind of like, well, it's clearly not just a natural thing that's happened, that there's been a plane crash and they've all ended up on this island. And then also structurally, each episode kind of has fills in the backstory of a different one of the characters, a la mm. Lost, which Lost did as well, of course. So, yeah. I mean, it so is of, quite a lot like fucking Lost. Yeah. It's just they're but, using interrogations instead of flashbacks. Yeah. Well, and of course, yeah, that, that's the other thing they do is that in terms of hoary old TV narrative devices, they start with the characters being interrogated, as you say, by two officials, um, a la True Detective, Big Little Lies. So... Yeah. It's kind of lost meets that narrative structure, but 
I think what makes it perfectly good, and actually I think it's getting better and better as it goes along, is that I think it's pretty well scripted. I think it. I think the group of characters are interesting. They are. I think it makes sense they're brought together because the idea is that they all have issues as young women. Um, one of them was seeing an older man, an author, a kind of starry author, and she shouldn't really kind of in an inappropriate relationship with him. Another one cares for her father's like the lone carer in his extremely stressful situation. Another one is an athlete, a, a diver um, who has mm. got issues, body issues, mainly because of her fucking oppressive coach who wants her to sort out her body, even though she's incredible. So they all have issues in which they're brought together by this this group who are offering them feminist lifestyle advice, effectively. So there's a little bit of satire on that, which I'm finding the more you see of Rachel Griffith's character, who's obsessed with her two pug dogs in a very amusing way, <laughs> the better the show is. And in fact, as it goes on, you see more of her. And, and now I really want to know what happens in the end? I really want to know because this is—I think this is going to be a recurring series. Amazon hopes, if enough people watch it, that will have a big, big twists and turns within its structure. So I'm kind of hooked. I think I'm definitely going to carry on watching it and definitely going to make it to the end of the tenth episode. And even though it is incredibly derivative, particularly mm -hmm. of Lost, I think it's kind of okay because you know. It's a kind of classic idea, isn't it, that a group of people are stranded on a desert island. Even Lost, you know, they've been precursors to that. So I I'm kind of with it. I'm enjoying it. Yeah. <laughs> Terry? <laughs> How, what did you think? So here's, right, here's the thing that I found interesting as a woman. So um, there are tropes, right? So even the girls, you've got the bookish one. The Mardi mm -hmm. one, the shy one, the preppy one, the one who's hot but incredibly awful, um, the tough girl. <laughs> they And you kind of, there's a familiarity in all of that and you may say, you know, it's repetitive or it's it's um, derivative or whatever we want to call it. But I think there's something much more interesting going on which boy just started to kind of skirt around, not skirt around, but, you know, you start to prod it, which is, the way they set it up initially, and you said, you know, it's it's the way like Big Little Lies did it and all of that. I think it goes further than that because she's got like bruises on her face, her hair's all over the shop. And honestly, I thought that she'd been raped or attacked. So the setup is like she's a victim of some kind of, mm. of crime as a woman and possibly a sexual crime. I honestly, maybe it's the amount of SBU I watch. I was like, oh God, <laughs> this, and I didn't know anything about it before I started watching it. I thought, oh God, is it going to be one of those? And for me, it actually starts to like, almost like play with that setup because then you, she says something to camera. This is Leah. And what she says is, not to camera, sorry. She says to the investigators, um, oh yeah, if we're talking about what happened out there, and by out there, she means when they were um, stranded at sea. She says, yeah, there was trauma, but being a teenage girl in normal oh, ass America, that was the real living hell. And I think this starts to prod what it is to be um, a young woman, especially at a time like this with social media, you know, the whole setup around um, this kind of the way they've been set up, this faux feminism. Um, but I, I just think, and I've only seen the first episode, um, so I haven't seen as many as Boyd, I think this could hopefully start to explore some of the bollocks and idiosyncrasy, whatever that word is, and <laughs> difficulties and specific singular things about being a young woman 
today in a country like America and actually in a country like um, uh, Britain, this kind of faux empowerment, this, you know, Mm. this glossy Instagram feminism. um, I don't know. I've only watched the first episode. I found it intriguing. I can't put my finger on it. But I think it could, the way it's been set up, could be about subverting those kind of depictions of of the trauma young women go through. Um, So I'm going to keep watching it because I'm really hoping that that's what it's going to kind of dig into more and more as it goes along. Oh, you're right. It it absolutely does. And in fact, it becomes increasingly clear that something awful has happened to them. They Mm. all have various injuries uh, as they're being um, interviewed by those those guys. And also, the more you see of uh, Rachel Griffiths that said, it's clear they are exploiting their issues mm. as young women are being exploited by this company um and the and 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 her as this this kind of the the, the figurehead of the company it's, it is it's got that so it's got what actually happened to them is a really good narrative hook her observing them and what the hell is she up to and how far is she going to take it is a really interesting narrative hook and kind of each and a lot of the different individuals have also have their own um narrative tension so it's actually got a lot of reasons to keep watching it i think sorry james but you clearly fucking no, no, hated I, it <laughs> no no it's funny because actually listening to terry talk about it made me think more kindly towards it because weirdly like that line that you mentioned you're absolutely right it, it does carry those connotations i was so focused on how badly and clumsily it was written that i just i that was lost to me because i was like well, she almost looks at the camera and it feels a bit like you know david caruso at the end of an episode of csi miami when he drops like a terrible yeah. pun and the music <laughs> comes up she just goes it was nothing compared to being a teenage kind of goes wow you know it's the fucking title sequence starts i thought what the fuck is this i mean it's and not then, particularly subtle right I think no. we can we can agree no, on the that. the archetypes, the raging stereotypes. I was just like, this is appalling. This is this is if Lost was absolute shit, and 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 all of this <laughs> and the way they interact with each other. I found the dialogue to be quite clumsy. But as you say, I've only watched the first episode, so this was just my my impressions of it. But I do see what you're saying. Like, I haven't seen more Boyd House, and he says it definitely does, obviously. But. I see what you're saying. It, it sows the seeds for more interesting mm. cultural narratives yeah. and, and, and conversations to take place. I don't think you get a lot of that in the first episode, but it is a lot of scene setting, so that's that's understandable. I think I was I was so swept up in the just awfulness of some of it that I maybe missed some of that. So I, I'd be persuaded based on what yeah. you both said to actually give this another chance. It's, it, it's funny because the script is very variable. So it has that line, right? They're so, they were so pleased with that line, weren't they? It's like, <laughs> no, this, is our, <laughs> this is our statement. This is how we've got. We've written a line and it sums up this Stop fucking show and it's brilliant. And But when it relaxes, when it, it actually calms down a bit, the dialogue is perfectly decent and sometimes quite witty and, and clever. It's just that it is quite try hard at the same time. Yeah, there are moments where it feels very forced. There's some excruciating bits of dialogue on the plane before the crash where they're trying to show you who all these people are and having them just lean into their respective stereotypes. It's just, it's just, oh, I just thought this could have done with a a lighter touch. Well, don't you think that was deliberate? I thought it was, I thought it was so heavy handed that they were kind of establishing and then almost challenging or undercutting those tropes because they were, I mean, they were literally, they could have each had a badge on saying, I'm the bucky one, I'm the preppy yeah. one, I'm really yeah. hot, which must mean I'm a dreadful human being. Like, but I don't, yeah. and I, maybe I'm giving it too much credit, but I just figured that's what, you know, they were setting them up writ large so that they could then 
deconstruct them and I do think I think there's so much there's always so much about and I can talk having written the book I've written but there's always so much around women's trauma on display and you know how we solve that trauma and and the awful things that young women go through and it it just the way they set up I was like oh this could be really an interesting look at that especially in late stage capitalism right Mm. I've yeah. mentioned late stage capitalism now. That's yeah, yeah, yes, yes. yeah. <laughs> Who had yeah. late stage capitalism on the pilot TV bingo sheet? So uh, we had anal douching last week. This week it's late stage capitalism. Monstrously right. um, exciting. <laughs> yes, monstrously, monstrously exciting. Monstrously. Um, Boyd, when, when, and where is the Boyd? Is the is, is the Boyd? Is the Wilds? The Wilds is Amazon, all on Amazon it? Prime absolutely right now. All ten episodes of it. You can watch them now if you dare. Next this week we have. The Euphoria Christmas special. Words I never thought I'd utter aloud, if I've got to be honest with you, because Euphoria doesn't really seem like a show that really lends itself to having a festive one-off episode. And yet, here we are. Uh, But it is a festive special, and it's quite a special one indeed. So this is set after the events of season one. uh, And this is essentially a miniature Yuletide play, a two-hander between Zendaya uh, who plays Rue, and her sponsor, Ali, played by Coleman Domingo, who you might remember from Fear the Walking Dead. Uh, what follows is an hour-long conversation about sobriety, forgiveness, and self-worth, and just reasons for being. So this aired on Sky Atlantic last week, but we thought it was definitely worth talking about. So, Terry, what did you think of the Euphoria Christmas special? <laughs> yeah, it's, um, if you are expecting festive joy, um, <laughs> uh, then you might be slightly taken aback back this is much more in the vein of um it's a wonderful life and actually it's a wonderful life is literally referenced in the episode at one bit it's very much a i suppose amusing on the much bigger um issues in life and you know how essentially you can end up alone at christmas if you um don't get a handle on those issues um now so it is a festive special and, you know, Christmas specials, um, which are much more kind of commonplace in American TV, but always kind of have to not disrupt the narrative so much that if people don't watch those specials, they kind of, you know, and they just watch the main seasons that they, it, it's not intrinsic that they have to watch them. So they have to be self-contained, mm. um, which in itself obviously presents narrative challenges. But the other big challenge around this um is COVID and it's incredibly boiled down and stripped back. Apparently they were shooting season two when obviously the pandemic took hold and um, it was put on pause. This is obviously two actors, essentially a two-hander. Um, you do see Jules briefly at the beginning, but other than that, as you say, it's just Zendaya um, and her sponsor, Ali, um, played by Coleman Domingo. And it's them in a diner um lots of people other than me will have mentioned it looks like an edward hopper painting which it very much does but it's essentially a two-hander across a, a diner table rue's clearly high in the in this episode we'll have seen at the end of season one that she did relapse and essentially this long conversation covers as you said before addiction depression death racism drugs capitalism late stage capitalism (laughs) late stage (laughs) so the first thing to say is that in many respects it doesn't look or feel like euphoria it certainly doesn't look like euphoria and it is an absolute change of pace and i have to say that i really didn't like it i'm just going to cut to the chase on this because um 
this did not work for me at all. And I think for a couple of reasons. So this, huh. um, Sam Levinson did write and shoot and produces this, produce this all during COVID, which probably led to some practical decisions in terms of how this was done. And, and obviously what I think I loved about Euphoria initially was it was kind of bold and aggressive and, um, it was bright and it was neon and there was incredible scenes, um, Re- a real vivid depiction of what it's really like to be a teenager all of the great stuff and all of the really fucking dreadful stuff it's completely unflinching now this is is it actually one of two so the first one um is from Rue's point of view the second one will go on to be um from Jules's it opens essentially on um, on a scene which is you kind of learn very quickly is essentially a fantasy scene and it just settles into this diner scene for the whole rest of the episode. Now, it kind of is predicated on a couple of things, which is a belief system around addiction, around recovery, around AA. Um, and I found some of the writing... Um, very very on the nose as regards that stuff i think there's a line about you know um some people don't have a bottom they're bottomless um there's all this kind of talk in recovery much of which sounds kind of like cliche in many respects and all of that language is in there um i felt like it was really heavy-handed in places about these themes um it felt very long it felt too long to me it felt really slow I think their performances are without a doubt incredible I mean essentially it's just them and the script that is it and I think especially Coleman Domingo I think is absolutely phenomenal in this and subtlety and nuance in his performance the devastation in just a look I think is incredible um I did not enjoy the setup of the episode um I didn't enjoy the fact it was stripped back and it was kind of you know focusing in on this this one thing and just those two sparring um backwards and forwards on it yeah I did it just didn't work for me at all and I'm very surprised because I love Euphoria and everybody else in the world it would seem really loved this and I didn't at all I didn't find it moving I didn't find it um challenging um I felt like it was kind of full of addiction cliches of recovery cliches um and yeah I I no not for me that's interesting. Uh, it's very interesting. I mean, I, I I thought this was great. I really loved it. Uh, I th- I I was totally drawn in by it. I loved the the sort of two hander feeling of them just discussing this. I thought it, it managed to evoke the same sort of fuzzy warmth of a Christmas special in that they're inside. There's the cold outside. They're snuggled in this little booth, but it has real bite and kind of like you know soul searching to it. And I really enjoyed listening to them back and forth over singing yeah sure some of the ground they cover is, is, is definitely familiar and I, and I think you're you know you're probably right and you have a very different perspective on the the cliches around mm-hmm. this subject than i do but you know when she's talking about her dad's death and how that fits into a divine plan and how she's challenging ali and his beliefs and stuff i really enjoyed that back and forth and for me this had a real sort of sorkin-esque feel to it not in the way that it's like his kind of dialogue but it would be a very him thing to do to have an episode that breaks the mold and has two characters just sitting there talking about an issue 
you know what i mean that's a and i love that kind of stuff like really deep dive stuff where you just got to focus on the performances and you got to focus on the dialogue uh and i think they did this i didn't think they did this very well and i also loved a little device in the middle where um ali goes out to have a cigarette and rupert's in a headphone so you have this almost musical interlude in the middle where it's just images and slices of things with her listening to this music on her headphones now i thought it was beautiful and, and slightly dreamy and surreal in places um but i do wonder whether because i don't watch the show because i've not watched the whole of season one perhaps i didn't notice the shift as keenly as you did for me this was like a little standalone play for me i don't really know a great deal about the backstories and whatnot i was just in the moment with these two characters and loving this hour of television uh, you know outside of any context and i wonder if you watch the show maybe you'd feel differently about it i i, yeah, I watched the show and i was very disappointed i have to say I agree. I, I I agree with Terry. I think the, th the problem with it for me was it almost flew in the face of the whole point of Euphoria, mm. which was that you know it dealt with all of these ideas and issues: sexuality, gender, drugs, obviously addiction, mm. um, consent. All of all of the issues that big teen dramas, you know, like We Are Who We Are, deal with. Um, and Euphoria did it brilliantly. But what was brilliant about it was it it dealt with those things without stopping to admire itself and to be earnest and to and to put forward a message. In fact, a lot of people criticised Euphoria for um, almost yeah, glamorising drug taking. And, and, you know, and I don't think it did that, but I certainly don't think it, but it certainly didn't pause to tell us how bad drug taking was, which this <laughs> entire episode yes. was about. And I don't think, it just felt like a, a superfluous, I don't know what the point of it was, apart from, and funnily enough, where I I, I I was just bored like uh, you know I yeah. thought it was quite dull and overlong and there was there's one bit where they both stopped talking for about a minute and a half and I'm like yeah <laughs> I mean I know what you're doing here this is quite real but it's not I don't want to watch a documentary of two people chatting away for an hour with a lo really long pause in the middle and it made me think and when he starts ranting about Nike there's a whole rant about yeah. Nike exploiting yeah. Yeah. you know thing and I thought Hold on a minute. This is on HBO, and right now HBO Max, you know, is exploiting filmmakers for all their I mean, work. You're maybe no, connecting no, no. too many dots there. I know there's no, I know, I know, but I, this is my. This is just what I thought while I was watching it. I'm like, it's all yeah. very well for one giant corporation to slag off. In the, obviously, he's written it. It's his. It's his. But it's such yeah, an obvious yeah. little rant. It's so obviously what Sam Levinson thinks. You know, yeah. It's the crassness of the observation that got to me, and then I started thinking about. Well, you know, it's particularly ironic that HBO this this HBO show, which is mining youth trauma, you know, essentially within late stage capitalism, if you really want to go that far, <laughs> to have a rant about Nike in the middle of it. But I think what what well, why it's so why that was so ruinous is because it's so sledgehammer, it's so unsubtle, and the show itself is a brilliantly made. You know, every episode was an astonishing. You know, there's one episode that was like a Brian De Palma horror film, <laughs> and you know, there's the, the famous shower with the thirty penises episode was astonishingly bold bit of um, filmmaking that was absolutely justified thematically, and this felt none of those things. I thought it was, I thought it was absolutely uh, uh, almost like. I thought it undermined the whole thing for me. It, you know, it really annoyed yeah. me, I have to say. And I think, I, I think Boyd's right in that, you know, and I should say that, it, and I wouldn't want, normally talk about this because it's not normally relevant, but I um, did AA when I was in America and I um, did do a kind of traditional recovery path within kind of the US um, uh, system, I suppose. And 
I found it to be um, a, a, not a representation of of addiction and recovery that I recognised and I found realistic. I felt like a lot of, of what I saw and heard was based on kind of generalities and cliches that I didn't recognise in my own life. This is not to say, by the way, that AA recovery doesn't help people because it helps a lot of people, a lot of people that I know. It saved a lot of people's lives, I'm sure. But what was so brilliant about Euphoria is it dealt with, it painted such a real picture of addiction and it didn't always make it popular, but what it meant is it it made it truthful. It never went to cliche, it never went to tropes, it never went to what a um, polite society wants addiction to look like, the moralising that happens around it. All of that was never part of it. It was just a really unflinching and real look at it and I really appreciated that and what I feel like this is is the opposite of that um is kind of a real moralizing around it and it it does kind of function on the on the on on the I suppose the belief that that AA is the path and that you know all the higher power stuff and all of that stuff you have to kind of buy into that I think to be able to buy into the episode almost and all of those things that I think are challenging around um, addiction and around recovery and the things people want to hear, which aren't actually the truth. I felt all of that was suddenly in the mix. And that for me felt like a complete undoing of the work done in season one. And and, and then because it didn't feel like Euphoria and it didn't feel original. So the, the script for me what Rue was saying didn't feel like it was true to the character because suddenly you had her saying things I just don't think that character would have ever said. Um, and so, and that's why I got I got frustrated with it. And then I think I got bored as well because actually I was used to being swept along and compelled by the storytelling and by the dialogue. And, and in this world that they immerse me in, I believed every bit of it. I believed every piece of dust on the table. I believed every piece of grass, you know, coming out of the sidewalk. Um, and I didn't feel like that. I didn't believe any part of this. Um, and it completely took me out of it. It's interesting, though, that you mentioned that. And that's something because that's I think Rue would have agreed with you. And I think she, <laughs> she voices exactly the same criticism in this that the thing about AA is about having to lend yourself over to a higher power and if you get stuck on that particular point then the whole thing becomes a bit problematic yeah but then he challenges it and bait and you know and yeah. goes you know oh what you think you're bigger than the yeah, higher right. power and he wins that like yes. argument yes. It's the wise wise old dude. I, yes yes yeah. totally. it's this wise old dude telling this young girl what she should be doing and she acquiesces to it she you know it's like he absolutely teaches her you know the way and by the way let's not even get into what we find out about his backstory because that's a whole other can of worms that i found problematic to say the least right well you two didn't like it i do wonder whether if i watched the show i probably would have liked it less but uh, maybe i just have a thing for heavy-handed moralizing <laughs> but uh, <laughs> either way euphoria is available on sky atlantic or now tv but finally, we come to this week's main event, which is, of course, The Expanse. Returning in all its glory this week, you will, of course, remember that uh, Season 4 saw the crew of the Rossinanti travel through the ring gate to another part of the galaxy in a kind of more contained instalment of the show. Well, this season, you'll be pleased to hear, is very much the opposite, with everyone not only back in our solar system and up to their asses in Earth, Martian and Belter politics, but each of our heroes has gone their separate ways this time around, pursuing a variety of different agendas, some personal and some connected to the fate of interplanetary peace. So we've waited a year for this. 
Guys, how thrilled are you to be back in the Expanse's warm embrace after all this time? Um, yeah, I mean, look, uh, even more so than last time. I, uh, you know, we often end up saying this, don't we, about these shows? So we have to dive, dive into five fifth series. Yes. I have no idea what's going on. Well, the last um, one, because it was almost yeah. a fresh start, was yeah, more self-care. I think the last one provided an yeah. access point for people, and this exactly. one doesn't. Exactly. So all I can really compare it to is my experience of watching the last one, which wasn't too bad. And in fact, I kind of got the hang of the last one quite quickly. This one, even with an extended recap, it opens with an extended recap. But I just thought, well, it's just a load of different people in different bits of the galaxy kind of <laughs> investigating different things and trying to find lost children. Everyone's trying to find the lost child or maybe I don't know it's the same lost child. Everyone seems to know each other and comes back and has enigmatic conversations about why they've been away for a bit and now they're back. Um, there's some weird South African accented people who are really violent and nasty for no reason whatsoever to some very nice people and then they get beaten up Spoiler alert slash You, of killed. course, refer to the Creole patois of the Beltalota boy. Ah, okay, okay. But I thought it was interesting. I, I thought it was a South African accent, so it's like a Creole accent. Is that what it's supposed to be? Yeah. yeah. So it's, yeah. Okay. Do you remember when we had Jared Harris on the podcast? Yeah. And he was talking oh, yeah. about when right. he did that accent. They said, you know right. how? And he said, no, no, don't give me the Diet Coke. Give me the full fat version. I want to go full accent. Yeah. And yeah. they really embraced it. It's a slightly odd mishmash of different cultures. Right. Um, so I had no idea what was going on. I didn't know. I don't know the. Inter I think you have to know the relationships between the characters because they're, you know, yes. reuniting and it's, it, there's big set piece conversations going on in bars between people. I don't really know what the connection is between them. So, but. So all I can say is it's very it, it's very well made. It's very you know it's kind of beautifully done. Really, there's I like the fact that you know there's one. It takes time within. It's quite fast moving, but then at the same time that one vessel arrived back down on a planet, and it took time to show you that vessel arriving. You know, almost like celebrating the old school sci-fi effects element of it, and them arriving. They're and very going big down. on physics. Yeah, I thought. Well, I, yeah. I just okay. They're very big on physics. They, as well, well, they take up their like all of the science. Right. Is very very carefully right. thought through in a kind of yeah, hard sci-fi fashion. I felt that. I felt you know. I believed the whole. It, fe it felt like a meticulously designed and thought through vision of the future. And from that point of view, I think it's very impressive. Um, it's a kind. Of, I watching. It, I kind of think. I wish I had watched it from the start, and I probably would be really 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 into it. But it is bewildering to dive in um, <laughs> season five yeah, and not know five what the years in. Going. Yeah. But I, I can I can absolutely appreciate its quality is what I would say it's re clearly re you know and and in in the dialogue I thought it was very believable it's definitely not a cheesy silly thing it's a very well thought out very well constructed create craft all the craft of it is, is there to see show so yeah i mean i kind of appreciated it terry unfortunately there wasn't quite as much uh sharae agdashlu in this as uh, as there have been in previous no, seasons you didn't get as much avasarala who i know you love and is brilliant but here's the thing i agree with boyd in that i remember being obviously charmed and and surprised when we reviewed this last time so i'm thinking you know i'm i'm, I'm prepared to kind of except that maybe this is good. And I'm thinking, how impenetrable can it be? Bearing in mind, I've, I've seen an episode before. I mean, honestly, <laughs> I couldn't tell you what was happening or why there was something about a proto-molecule um, from somebody. Molecule. Somebody wanted the it and, molecule. and somebody wanted to get rid of it or something. And then there was some mother and son thing, I think, that I was kind of getting some vibes from. Um 
there's a lot of swearing. What are ring gates? Um, a, <laughs> I mean, to Boyd's point, though. Oh, yeah, the swearing. I mean, there's, I literally wrote down, what am I fucking running here? A fucking soup kitchen? Fucking, I don't fucking know what you're fucking talking about, fucking boss man. A literal bit of dialogue. Like, yeah. what the yeah. fuck? Um, so, <laughs> but to, um, so I can't tell you if I enjoyed it because I was bamboozled because it's the most impenetrable thing ever. So if you haven't seen the previous four seasons, this is never going to work for you. But to Boyd's point, fuck me, there must be some money spent on this show. So there's a massive <laughs> seven and a half minute set piece before the credits even roll. I was like, holy shit, it was like a movie opening. That's seven and a half minutes. It was like Mission Impossible or something, but, you know, in space. Um, there's loads of money here. I love the fact that it's like this madly diverse and, and bonkers cast and crew um, and everybody speaks in a completely different accent and, uh, you know, fuck knows. I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah, it's a TV show. It's it's well made. Um, if this is your vibe, then I presume this is kind of like Christmas Eve for you. So um, enjoy yourself. Knock yourself out on the Expanse <laughs> Season 5, Episode 1. I love the verdict. It's a TV show. It's- <laughs> yes. <laughs> Terry has confirmed it is in fact it's a TV we can show. Confirm. The rumours are true. The Expanse is a TV show. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I will. I will. I, I will. I think this is great. I've seen the first three episodes. The first three episodes, of course, are dropping on day one, and then the rest are going weekly, much to my eternal annoyance. Why are they uh, dropping I, three at once? Yeah, why the is first that? Three? This, why it's is it's that? like an exciting kickstart. So they're whacking out three, and then they're doing it weekly. So who knows? That's mm. how they've chosen to do it. <laughs> but um, I would argue that this is the least accessible season of The Expanse yet, if you have not watched it before. The last season being the most accessible because it had them all together and they were in a new place and it didn't really tie in all that necessarily to anything else. This is the opposite. They're now going back to the galaxy proper. And more than that, they've all split up and they're all doing their separate things. So where's Chatham, his, uh, who plays Amos? He's gone back to Earth to go, sort of go back to the old hood. Uh, Naomi's gone to search for her missing son. She's left Holden behind. Meantime, he's doing an investigation separately. And then Alex has gone off to Mars to meet up with Bobby and they're investigating like stolen weapons there. So there are lots of different things going in lots of different places and almost all of them tie back to things that have happened in previous seasons. So yeah, I can imagine this is complete gibberish if you haven't watched it before. So all I will say is go back and watch season one. Like genuinely, I feel... This is without doubt my favourite science fiction show on television, and I include The Mandalorian and all the Star Treks in this. Wow. At the moment, this is my favourite science. I, like, genuinely, I love it. I think it's because the you know the attention to detail is so extraordinary. The narrative is so strong, taken from the Expanse books. But like I say, the, the design of it, the world, the world feels so thought out and so rich and so real in a way that so many science fiction shows, the universes and the world building they do feels quite skin deep. Do you know what I mean? Like it feels like they build enough of the world to make. The the story work and then we kind of move on with this the layers of culture involved in this you feel it in every scene you feel that this is a believable inhabitable world these people have their different backgrounds and this planet is this and the belters work like this and their culture has evolved because of x y and z Like, there's a lot going on and i think even if you've not seen the other episodes it, it just it oozes depth and thought on every scene it is very compelling the show has evolved quite a lot over time it starts off as a kind of mystery uh, almost a murder mystery actually and then uh and then kind of branches out from there but you know if if 
taking aside Terry and Boy's bemusement, if anything about <laughs> science fiction type programming or quality science fiction does appeal to you, I do encourage you to go and watch season one of The Expanse on Amazon now. If only because if all of you watch it, then I won't need to bang on about it nearly as much. Can I ask a question? It, it, it does seem incredibly lavish. Like for a show that yeah. feels, I always felt, yeah. I don't feel like it's ever been, it was on sci-fi, wasn't it, to start with? It was, yeah. Yeah. And then, um, like, I don't, it was always it quite feels... lavish because all the sets okay. carried over from sci fi right. to, to okay. you know, to uh, Amazon. But um, yes, I know I mean, what you mean. Is it a like, massive you... phenomenon? Is it a massive phenomenon outside of, you know, us? Not... I don't think so, to the extent okay. that, you know, obviously Amazon are only doing one more season of this. And I think because it is expensive and probably isn't, you know, a global phenomenon, I think it's incredibly mm. high quality. But bearing in mind that it's quite dense, quite hard sci fi, you've got a relatively limited audience hard. base for that it's not broad on any level it is Mm. yes but it is it's aimed at people like me so you know yeah you're never gonna have enough people like you around the world to justify there are enough uber nerds around that will love this shit so you know well the expand season five drops on amazon or rather i should say the first three episodes of which drop on amazon on wednesday december the 16th and then it will air weekly until february so you'll have to wait until then to find out how it ends which is annoying but what can you do my pick of the week is obviously the expanse, but I'm assuming both of you would go for the wilds. Yeah, the wilds, yeah. Wilds. Yeah. Wilds. The expanse it is. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Time now for the Banshee segment. Or rather, it would be. But we don't have one. So it occurs to me that since we've rather come to a place where we're just listing shows we've seen at this point the original intent of the banshee segment which was to recommend little known shows that we love and you might not have heard of has perhaps perhaps run its course after 114 episodes and let's be honest around 300 show recommendations nobody has that kind of time so the question is the question is what do we replace it with so what i would say to you our lovely listeners is if you have a suggestion for a brand new pilot tv podcast segment then we do want to hear about it so do send your suggestions to me at james c dyer or to at pilot tv pod and we will maybe possibly pick the best one uh, or come up with something of our own who knows for those that do love the banshee segment and are about to riot do fear not it's not necessarily dead it's just going oh, into hibernation is. for a oh, while <laughs> Unless oh, we'll start it up in five years and we'll have some more tv shows to talk about but we yeah, <laughs> yeah. i was saying rest assured that if a bansheeable show springs to mind then we can obviously resurrect it to make sure you hear about it but it's just not going to be a weekly fixture <sighs> Terry visibly relieved at this point, dancing around the room in joy. I actually yes. picked a banshee for this week. I forgot that we were not doing it, and I did actually you? did one. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to do it? Do you want to do it? Boy? Do you want to do the one? final banshee? I should, I'm going to bow out with a proper one because I think this Go is on. a show that people Boy's might not give remember. You the final banshee. Yeah. One season. It lasted. 2004 2005. I went on set of it in Vancouver. Life as we know it. It was a teen drama. There are only 13 episodes, two of which remain unaired to this day. It was based on British novel Doing It by Melvin Burgess, which basically deals with teen sex and sexuality and all of that in quite a kind of upfront uh-huh. way. This was made for ABC, so it couldn't. It was completely like kind of, you know, not, not <laughs> it couldn't live up to its premise at all. And it starred Kelly Osborne randomly. Did it? Yes. But it was quite good and quite interesting and lots so, hardly anyone's heard of it. Life as we know it. So it was there a show go. about teenage sex that couldn't feature any teenage sex. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, because right. it was for a network. It was a ma- mainstream network primetime show. And that's why it only lasted 13 episodes. <laughs> yeah, hard to imagine why that didn't work yeah. out. 
Well, thank you, Boyd, for that. The final banshee. Right. Okay. Okay. Then uh, that is it for another episode of the Pilot TV podcast. If you are wondering what to get the Pilot TV team for Christmas, then a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts will be an excellent place to start. And if you still have some festive cheer going after that, then why not send them our way on social media at James C. Dyer, at Terry underscore White, and at Boyd Hilton. Uh, We will be back next week with our final regular show this side of christmas when we'll be talking through a bunch of the festive specials hitting our screens over the next few weeks any or all of which uh may feature boyd as an incidental extra stacking (laughs) ladies underwear who knows we'll find out be sure to tune in for that one until then though we are off to listen to the second surprise Taylor Swift album to drop this year, (laughs) Evermore, the companion to the exquisite folklore she released in the summer. And I have to tell you, Terry and I are pretty stoked about it, aren't we, Terry? (laughs) It's a bit close to my bellend noise. I'm going to have to work on that. (laughs) You are. You're going to need a new siren for that. (laughs) You can unveil it next week. Until then, pilot out.